So good. Hey, before you get too comfortable, you know the drill. Stand on your feet. We stand when we read the word. We're going to read from our keynote verse in Jeremiah 31. And if you're new with us, we are in the middle of a series on covenant. And just really the simplest way to say it is God sees relationship different. And he wants to transform our lives, our hearts, so that we function and we live in relationship with each other differently and according to how he's created us to live in. And our world is very transactional in the way that we, we function in relationships. And God is inviting us. He's pulling our hearts back, saying, let me, let me transform your heart so that they're safe for relationship, so that they're a safe place, so that you and I can be a place of life and encouragement for those around us. Jeremiah 31 says this in verse 31, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I want to pause just for a moment. God is describing the difference in relationship, His intentions for you and I. And it's in that place when we embrace that, that place of His instructions being stamped on our hearts, written there in the deepest parts of who we are, that our relationships with others are transformed. Look at that result. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness and will never again remember their sins. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, make us covenant friends today. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're with us. Lean in. Let's allow the Lord to change us. Uh, man, I want to be known as a good friend. I really want my, my reputation with those around me to be a trustworthy, life-giving friend. And I know this just doesn't happen by accident. There, there is a, a transformation that is happening and continues to happen that that works and, and, and molds me into a safe place for those around me, an encouraging place, a life-giving place, also transforms me into a place where I can receive encouragement and I can receive life. All of us have this desire and need for true friendship. Um, you know, one of the worst things that can happen and Jesus referred to people that were bound in religion, and he, he said, you're twice the son of Satan because you live from a profile of what you want others to see in your life instead of living from a transformed heart that I've worked in you. And that's the difference between religion and a friendship with God. That's what I want to talk about today is I want us to, to begin to invite the Lord and, and, and recognize the need for covenant friendships in our life. Covenant friendships are different. You know, Anna and I from 
the beginning, you know how you get married and all of a sudden you have these little pet names for each other. And, and from the beginning of our marriage, we've referred to each other as best friends. And a uh, funny story about that, we were at a church and the church did like a, you know, one of those marriage games where they ask the wife a question and the husband has to guess what she answered. Y'all, we got last place. <laughs> I mean, we, we left there going, what, what happened? But what, the worst part of it was, that was one of the questions, what is your name for each other? And I, I, was, I went completely blank. I, I, don't, I don't know what happened. But Anna wrote on the card, best friend. And I, I, I just airmailed it, just completely missed it. And so, like, I remember being, it was all on the platform in front of all these people. And I remember just being there and her looking at me like, what is wrong with you? We're best friends, I thought. It was so bad that the couple that won gave us their prize. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They really did. They felt so sorry for us. They gave us the prize. Um, we know we need friendship. We know that we need life-giving relationships in our lives. I, I want you to see this a couple of ways today. I want you to be aware that there are people around you that are desperate for the life of God, the transformation of God to work in your life so that the encouragement that he wants to speak through you happens. We talk about groups because this is, is not just, this isn't just a church thing, this is a body of Christ thing that we are to be in relationships encouraging one another. What, what would happen if we viewed our, our life as believers and we, we began to take responsibility to be a place of life, recognizing God is breathing life into me and it's not just for me. It transforms me, but I also am a conduit to spread it to everybody around me. What if I began to take responsibility that way and viewed the relationships around me that way? I think sometimes we view openness in, in relationships as simply the, uh, uh, this fearful place of like the, the one that's, uh, that are going to correct us on the things that we're, we're doing wrong. And we can get fearful and, hey, if I open up to them, then they're going to see the real me and they'll, they'll know that I'm not really worthy of love and, and, and it's just going to be this ugly place, an uncomfortable place. And I want you to know that God, God has purpose from the beginning for you and I to be voices of truth, echoing his heart for people. And the enemy hates it. You realize his first statements to Eve back in Genesis, when this whole thing started, was to undermine the truth of the word of God. You know, we have a saying in our culture today, this saying, my truth. I got to live by my truth. Listen, let's just say it blatantly. If your truth is not the truth of the word of God, your truth is not truth. There is one truth, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. So this place is a transformational place. God has intended this from the beginning. In Exodus 33, we see Moses in a relationship with God, and God said, I want this for everybody, but Moses was the only one that would respond. 
Moses was the only one that, that said, God, I want, I want to meet with you. I want to know you. I want to know your ways. I'm, I don't just care about, about the, the, the miracles. and I want to know you. Exodus 33 gives us this picture of, of the presence of God coming down in this pillar of cloud. And he wanted to be in the middle of his people, but they were so afraid and, and so worried that they'd be exposed as the, the sinful people that they were, that they said, Moses, you just talk to God and then tell us what he says. So Moses actually has to move the tent that he met with God outside of the camp because of the people that were afraid. But Exodus 33 describes Moses meeting with God and God says, I meet and I talk with Moses face to face like a friend does with another friend. That's my heart. God said, this is my heart, is that, that you and I would be face to face. That my voice wouldn't be rerouted through someone else and that we would take a step back into a shallow place in our walk with God, but that every single person would know God face to face. This word in the Hebrew that's used for friendship is an intimate word, a person with whom one shares affection and commitment, a companion, one who shares an intimate personal bond, a position of trust like the friend of a bridegroom. Jesus used this same word in friendship in John chapter 15 when he says, this is my commandment, listen, not a suggestion, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. This is God's heart for every single one of us, no matter if this is your first time walking through a door of a church and you're going, I'm just here to see if anything about this could be true. Or if you've walked with the Lord for 50 years, God's intentions with all of us today is to move us closer and to bring us to a more intimate place of knowing him face to face. He wants to know you face to face. He wants you to know him face-to-face. -face. He's not satisfied with a shallow relationship. He's not satisfied with his bride, his church, coming together and meeting together and staying in this shallow place with him or each other where it's just a profile of what I think I'm supposed to do and look like. And it's worship, so people are lifting their hands, so I better lift my hands. Man, free yourself from that. Please. It is exhausting to try to pretend to be a believer. Nothing will, will wear you out faster than trying to strive your way to be pleasing with God. You know, I have a, a very close friend. His name is Eric Thomas Newman. He's probably going to see this. Eric, I love you. You're a jackal, but I love you. Eric and I became friends before college at Oral Roberts University, and we bonded over equal love of the Beastie Boys. Both of us love the Beastie Boys. Such a great foundation for friendship. Somehow, 
Somehow the Lord worked through it. Eric was a voice that spoke needed, tr- needed truth to me. So Eric and I had been friends for a number of years, and, and I was actually at his house the, the night that I met Anna. I've told this story before with some of you, but Anna had been a, a student at Oral Roberts University and had done a semester abroad. They had all lived in Europe. Eric was in Spain. Anna was in France. And, and just there was a group of students from Oral Roberts that were all over Europe. They got together in Europe, hung out. And then when they all came back, they did a reunion party at Eric's parents' house. And so I was there. And in that, in that place, I was closest to the door when Anna came to the door. She rang the doorbell, and I was there, and I opened the door, and there she was. And I said, hi, Anna Davis, because I knew who she was. And she looked at me and said, hi, Josh Hall. And I said, she knows my name. And I've been chasing, chasing her ever since. But that night, I, I was at a, at a very unhealthy place running from the Lord. I had been running from the Lord, and, and, and Eric and I were having those, you know, those roommate talks where the lights are out, and one roommate's on one side of the bed, you're in the other, and you're talking about the deep things of life until one of you falls asleep. We were having a roommate talk, and I said, Eric, what do you think about that Anna Davis girl? And Eric said, Josh, she's amazing. She's not shallow. That girl is deep. She, she's incredible. Are you going to ask her out? And, and I'm ashamed to, to admit what my response was at that, at that point. My insecurity, pride, I, I made this statement. I said, well, I, I don't know if she looks like the girls I usually go out with. <laughs> Glad Phil thinks that's so funny. <laughs> and my friend from across the room said, Well, who do you think you are? And it, it really took me back. And, and as I, I, I laid there, I tried to just say something. Now, here's the best part as I'm trying to say something, and I finally stumbled out something like, Oh, Eric, I'm sorry. That, you're right. I'm sorry. He went to sleep. <laughs> My friend, like, broke me off and then went to sleep, completely at peace with what he had done. I, I Listen to what happened. Because I had a friend that was willing to speak truth in that moment, As I was sitting quietly, just laying in the bed, ashamed of what had just come out of my mouth, it's the clearest I've ever heard God's voice. To this day, I don't know if it was audible or it was just in my heart. I don't know. All I know is that God spoke so clearly and said, Josh, do not let your pride cause you to miss out on the best that I have for you. And it was a moment that was a, like a fulcrum moment. It was a moment that my life began to take a different direction than where it was going. We need the voices of covenant friends in our lives. Y'all, we don't see this clearly ourselves. To this day, I, I, I don't see everything clearly And God help us ever get to a place, help us from keeping or or getting to a place where we think that we have it all figured out. There is life and encouragement around you that you need. And there is life and, and encouragement 
in you that those around you need. And I want us to talk about this. You know, the relationship that's lifted up in Scripture is like this picture of what covenant friendship looks like is the, the relationship between Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David were uh, heroes of, of Israel. They were both in Israel's army. David, as many of you know, became famous when he killed uh, Goliath. And when that happened, Jonathan and David, Jonathan, who was the son of the, the current king, Saul, they just hit it off. They became friends. It was, it was this great moment of them recognizing, hey, I really like you, and I, I really like you, and we like hanging out. And all of a sudden, they, they began to take steps of, instead of just staying at a shallow place, their relationship began to look different. Now, everything that I'm going to say today, there, there are two places that I, that I want us to look and, and ask the Lord where we apply it to, but there is one that matters more than the other. There is one that is foundational. You see, God intended that, that we live from this place in our relationship with him, and it's in that place that our relationship with others is transformed. If we get that backwards, if you leave here today and you're like, well, I got to do this, this, and this with this friend and you stay in a shallow place in your relationship with Jesus, there will be no transformation. You can modify your behavior all you want, and it's going to wear you out, and it's really not going to end well. David and Jonathan had a covenant. They made a covenant of friendship. One of them brought it into his walk with the Lord. One of them lived from a place of openness and holiness poured out before God. And because of that, his life took a very different direction than the other. Look at this. This is 1 Samuel chapter 18, Jonathan and David's covenant. It says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and, not let him, and would not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. I have three questions that I want us to ask ourselves today. And again, we, we ask these questions not first in the relationships around us, but in our heart before God. First question is this, will I grow in openness? Will I grow in my openness before God? Will I grow in the, the vulnerability that, that I live with before Jesus? This is something I've known and walked with the Lord. I grew up with incredible parents that still are just incredible followers of Jesus. And this was not something that I saw and really got a hold of until about five, six years ago and really began to understand what it was to live open and poured out before God. David modeled this. David was the one that, that he would go in his time with the Lord. He, he would be completely open and transparent. And it, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Like we, we know the Lord knows everything. But sometimes we treat it like he really doesn't. Like everything's great, Lord. No, no, I didn't just yell at my kids. I don't, I don't think you saw that. I don't think you heard what I said. David, David lived in this way. He lived poured out. When you read the Psalms, you see a man and, and, and read this, this heart place from a man that, that wasn't hiding anything. They were saying, search me. 
Know me, God. Go to, the, go to the deepest parts of me. Transform me. God, I don't like the unfaithful parts of my life. This is the transformational place that we ask ourselves, am I living from a profile in my life and in my walk with God, or is this, am I bringing everything that I am? You know, one of the greatest revealers of that is the covenant of marriage. Anna, Anna knows me better than, than anybody else on this planet. And it does not work for me to try to live with a profile with her. She sees right through it. There, there is this intimacy that, that God has, has forged with us that if I come home and I'm heavy and there's stuff that's gone on through, like I just give up now. I don't even try to pretend like everything's fine. We, 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 cause she's going to see it and she's not going to quit until we talk about it and we pray about it. She's my best friend. And this is the, the place, the face to face place that God, and I want you to know this, he is unrelenting. He's not going to quit until you know yourself as someone that is poured out before him because it's in that place when you are poured out before him and you say, God, here it is. This is all of it. It's ugly. It's manipulative. It's not good. It's not faithful. It's in that place where we know ourselves as hearts that are poured out before him that we know the depth of how he loves us. Because it's in that place that we go, you see it all and you still are here. You know it all and I'm telling you it all and you're saying, bring it. What else you got? Because I'm not going anywhere. I'm unrelenting in my love for you. I'm unrelenting in the power of my grace to transform you, but he can't transform a profile. He can't transform a fake place that we bring. He can only transform the real open heart that we bring to him. Will I grow in openness? Now, now we've talked about what it is to be a covenant husband, be a covenant wife, and I want to say this because it relates in friendship as well. God is not asking us to stay and remain in toxic, abusive situations. Sometimes the greatest place of faith is what is called a healthy boundary. There's a wonderful book called Boundaries by Henry Cloud. I, I recommend it to everyone. If you wrestle with this, like... Hey, this feels toxic, but I don't know what to do with this relationship. Boundaries is a great book for you. Sometimes the, the, the place of faith in our life is a place of going, I'm not going to give you access. And I'm doing that so I can keep a clean heart with you. And so that I can pray for you. And I don't get jaded by your toxic nature in my life. David had to do that. You know, things with David and Jonathan weren't just perfect. Now, some of this is my opinion. Scripture does not definitively say that Jonathan betrayed David. I just believe we have a lot of evidence towards that. So the second question is this, and David had to face this. David had to, to walk out what it was to put healthy boundaries. The second question is this, will I keep covenant? This, this covenant friendship with David and Jonathan was tested. And it was tested in a really, really strong way. David is running. Saul turns and, and, and sees God's hand on David's life, and he fears for it. He, he lives out of this place of fear. So he begins to hunt David, begins to try to kill him. 
So David is on the run. Many times he's on the run. And you know, the only person that knew his location was his covenant friend, Jonathan. And yet again and again and again, he's discovered. He actually writes Psalm 55 after being discovered by the Philistines. So somebody who knew his hiding place let the enemy of Israel know where he was at, and they came and got him. And he writes Psalm 55. This is where David is, is having to answer this question, will I keep covenant even when I'm being betrayed? It's not going to be on the slides because I want you to hear. Hear the, the, just the, the passion in his voice, the desperation, the betrayal that's filling his life. He says, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. He goes down and says, oh, if I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would get far away and lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find shelter. David's in this place of going, I'm being betrayed. I, I, I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm being betrayed. And this has brought his heart to a place of brokenness. And he, his heart's just ripped apart in this place. And this is what happens. The enemy tries to use the, the offenses and, and what, is, what happens to our lives and the trauma of those that we thought were friends, the enemy's not satisfied with just the pain that that alone brings. He wants to use that as a catalyst to divide you from the voice of God in your life. To bring us to a place where you say, well, I just can't trust anybody. I definitely can't trust church people. And look, y'all, we, we, we are not perfect. Far from it. Let's get over it. It got, it got very imperfect when you walked in. And it wasn't, it wasn't perfect before you walked in. <laughs> you, can't, you can't love God and hate his bride. And you can't live in self-defense for his bride. We're, we're called to be in relationships. So David's wrestling with this. He's saying, God, where are you? I'm being betrayed, and this is the, the test of keeping covenant because we want to begin to do this and give God the Heisman and say, hey, I just got to get, a, I'm, I, all I know is betrayal right now, so this feels a little insecure. And our tendency is to do this when what we need is to do this and just say, God, I, I, I got to know this. I, gotta, I need you to search me and know me. My heart's broken. Where are you? Listen to what David says. He says, for it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it's you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house when we walked in the throng. And then he says this, let death steal over them. Look, David's not, he's not playing around. He's like, covenant or not, God, I'm going to pray that you kill him. <laughs> let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is, is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. 
Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety. Now listen to this. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was as smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. And listen to how he finishes. In the face of betrayal, in the face of his, his, his natural human tendency to go, I got to protect myself. This is what he says. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved, but you, O oh God, will cast them down in the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. There's all kinds of situations and voices that will try to move you away from intimacy with Jesus, from openness with him. How am I purposing in my heart today to keep covenant? Will I keep covenant with Jesus? You can trust him. Move closer. Take a step closer. No matter what betrayal you're going through, I want you to know that the healing place for our hearts is found in the intimacy that is offered to us with Jesus. The last table or the last question is, is Something that we see from the, the end of Jonathan's life. Jonathan uh, was with his father. Scripture doesn't say definitively that he came out openly against David. But in watching the reaction of his descendants and the place that they were at and how they talked and the, the fear that they lived in with David, I, I believe all of this points to this covenant being tested in a way that just isn't perfect and isn't this rosy friendship that sometimes it's described as. Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth was uh, in his house when Jonathan was killed and Saul was killed, and th this horrible day in Israel happens. And as this baby Mephibosheth was there in terror in, in, in the transition of power and just the uncertainty of it all, the, the servants got him up and just knew that his life was in danger. And as they rushed out, this, this baby was dropped. And we don't know the extent of his injuries. We just know that he was crippled for the rest of his days. And they brought him to a place called Lodabar. They, they, they hid him at this place. And so... As David is now established as king and God's hand is on his life and, and Israel is experiencing peace and he is, he is walking and just walking in God's calling and, and living in this place, we see the evidence of, of the transformation that, that happens when a heart is con continually being brought to that place of being open before God. A heart that won't leave covenant. And so David asked this question. This is 1 Samuel chapter 9. It says, one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? They said, yes. And down in verse 3, the king said, if so, I want to show God's kindness to him. God's kindness 
See, this, this is a heart that's been transformed. This is a heart that isn't living in self-defense. This is a heart that has its trust and knows that its future is in the hands of the Lord, not in the hands of man. This is a heart that hasn't got jaded by betrayal. He says, I want to show God's kindness to him. So he sends for Mephibosheth, and uh, this is the encounter. This is the, the account of that encounter, and it, it brings us to this question. Will I allow myself to be carried to the table? Will I be carried to the table? It says in verse 5, David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid. David said, I intend to show you kindness or show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you would show such kindness to a dead dog like me? You see, there's a moment that every single one of us must recognize. And it's, it's this place. In this story, you and I are not in the place of David. We're in the place of Mephibosheth. You and I have been born into a family that was unfaithful to a true king. You and I have been born with a nature that was not a nature of covenant with the king. You and I were born into a place that we deserved judgment. We deserved death. God's word tells us that the wages of sin is death. This was a penalty that was on each one of our lives until a king stepped up and said, I will pay the penalty for them. All of us know what it is to be in Lodabar. You know what the, the, the word Lodabar means? It simply means without pasture. It's a place of, of dryness. It's a desert place. It's a place of solitude. Nobody wanted to be in Lodabar. That's why they hid Mephibosheth there. And God's heart for you and I is that we are carried from a place where there's nothing growing, there's no life, it's dry, it's desert, that he were carried from Lodabar and carried, brought to the king's table. That you and I, by a penalty that was over our heads being paid by somebody else, know ourselves as hearts that have been carried to the table, brought to a place that we don't deserve, that we haven't earned but we have been carried to. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 10. He says, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely. Now listen to this. And will find good pastures. Why would he say that? Because he knows that we all have been born into a place of low to bar. We've been born to a place that we can't get out of ourselves. Been born in a place that is dry. It's without life. And he says, as the source of life, come to me. Listen to how he finishes. My purpose 
Verse 10 says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You know how we are able to to live without being jaded? To live without unforgiveness and bitterness filling our hearts and poisoning our lives and making us live from this place of of mistrust and, and, and giving the Heisman to every healthy relationship. Because when that happens and that festers and that works in us, we're unable to recognize what is toxic and what is not. It clouds our judgment. It clouds our eyes. And God says, if you'll come to me and you'll know your own hearts as those that have been carried to the table, they get to receive of what we don't deserve, get to receive of what we didn't earn, but those that have been rescued, picked up in a crippled place and brought to the king's table. When you know your heart's in that place, forgiveness can come out. Life can come out. And that work that our hearts are desperate for, and not just our hearts, but those around us, that work can happen. And life can flow into us and life can flow out of us. There's a friend that that I want to just close by telling you about. So in that season where I was doing my best to run from the Lord, there was a, a guy named Scott. Scott pastored a church in, in Orange County. And uh, funny thing, I grew up in Minnesota, and, or Oklahoma, then Minnesota, and um, my walls were covered with surfing pictures. I went to college in Sweden and then in, in uh, Oklahoma, and still, everywhere I lived, I, I, I just had this knowing, I'm going to live by the ocean someday. And I had some friends from California, and so I, I just thought, it's going to be California. And Scott was one of those friends, and he pastored this church in, in Orange County. And um, when I was at the biggest place of my mess, when my life looked nothing like something that could be trustworthy. Scott would come in town and he would, he would take me out to lunch. And I, w- I would sit in, across from him and we'd eat lunch and there was life that I desperately needed. Y'all, I had no vision that God could do anything with my life. I knew my heart as betraying God because I knew the truth of God's word. And yet there were hurts and betrayals that happened and I was doing this to the Lord. And I was trying to find any other path other than walking with God and the call over my life. And we'd sit there and Scott would say, hey, Josh, why don't you move out to L.A. with me? Come be my youth pastor. And I'm going to be real open, real honest here. And I would say, Scott, I'm hungover today. I cannot be your youth pastor. And y'all, he, it didn't even, it, he didn't miss a beat. He's like, hey, we'll we'll take care of all that. Don't worry about that. God's got a call on your life. Come out. I'm like, well, who is this guy? And you know what? Even when I, and and if you ask Scott, he he said, he would say that that my face did not look like I was receptive. But I'm telling you, the dry Lodabar, Lodabar part of my heart that was thirsty and desperate for life was beginning to come alive. We need life. We need the life of God. 
The people around you need the life of God. We, we live in these strongholds of self-defense, and God is coming today to say, would you allow my truth of how I see you and who I am to break down those walls? Because I'm not going to quit. I, he is relentless until you and he are face to face. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, I pray right now for those that are living in this place of, of insecurity and, and, and they're just stuck. Lord, they're stuck. They don't, they don't know how to get out of that. They don't know how to, how to open up their hearts to you. And right now, by the power of your spirit, I pray that, Lord, that hope would flood their hearts right now. Lord, that vision for being open with you and honest with you, Lord, vision for what it is to be known all the way through, that your light can go to every part of their lives and it can all be exposed and yet you will still respond with your love and your grace. God, I pray that that vision begins right now. Lord, I thank you that your perfect love cast out fear. And so, Lord, right now, we receive the love of Jesus. We receive the love that knows every single thing about us and loves us, receives us, transforms us. Lord, I pray right now for courage. Lord, those that are here that are watching online that need to let go of these self-defense places that keep them from intimacy with you. God, I pray that they would take a step and let that go today. Lord, would you meet us? Thank you for the way that you carry us. Lord, we're carried to the table, and we say thank you. We worship you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.